you know, and, and as a community, we want to, we, we really want to pursue this kind of freedom to be who you are, uh, to be vulnerable and to be transparent. And I, I try to be a transparent person. I value transparency, and transparency could be defined as kind of, you know, where what we present outwardly agrees with what is going on inwardly, you know. And so we all, we all like people that we would call transparent, where we know we're getting what is there, and many of us would desire to feel free to be transparent, where we're not having to hide something, or we're not afraid of people discovering the full Heath or the full you. And so, so with that, I was at this conference this week. I should start my timer because we're going to be in trouble. You're welcome. We're just going to count that as bonus. You're like you don't need that. Um, so, but I was at a conference this week, and I get you know it was a it was a church leaders conference, a church planting conference, and I was with a lot of like friends and leaders from around the country and around the region that that we kind of know each other. And one of the questions you always get is kind of how are you doing or how's your church doing something of that matter. And I just as I was going through the days this week, I found myself in this tension of like, I, you know, I, I want to be real. But also, like, I get tired of being real. Like, you know, they were, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm good, but then I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good. I'm actually not all the way good. I'm somewhat good. I'm good if I can compartmentalize and say I'm good here. But then this category of my life is not good. And, and so I, I, found my, I found myself this week actually kind of dreading conversations. I was, because I love people, and so I want to talk to people, but I know in order for me to step into their life, they're going to step into mine. And like, if I'm going to say, how are you? They're going to say, oh, how are you? And then I got to answer. And so it's just this tension over and over again. And I found myself kind of exasperated with being a Christ follower, knowing that I have the hope of Christ. I have the promise of Jesus. And yet I was consistently like trying to be honest, but also realizing that I don't really grasp like the ever present hope of Jesus, that this tension that I felt like I, I just found myself kind of resenting that I couldn't just say, man, life has challenges, but I am actually really good and encouraged. Like I couldn't say that because the, 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 the parts of my, of my struggle were so like defining. And so I was just, you know, life is hard. Like it just comes at you all the time. I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the challenges I and we are facing. I mean, like I'm, I'm facing Leadership challenges, which is a big part of who I am. I'm facing, like, we're facing kind of uncertainty in life decisions of, like, just, you know, some, I mean, like, being real, I guess, like, financial. I'm looking at Amber, like, I need to know that I'm okay here. She's looking at me like, is this good that I'm going this direction? Because we have not talked about this. Just being real, she's vulnerable. So she's good. She's, she's ahead of me. Um, but, you know, like, financial, like, and, like, questions. Like, what's our future and what are we trying to do? And, like, what, you know, are we... Like looking at our present moment, like that's a stressor. And then with our kids, trying to like shepherd and care for our kids and do what's best and we're doing the best we can. And yet it comes with challenges and insecurities. And then there's just the internal fight of like, am I good enough? Am I doing a good job? Do people think I'm doing a good job? And, and all that goes into when I get asked, how are you? And I'm just like, I'm good. I'm not good. And, I, and, and so I, today, I think we all wrestle with this. Like the, the, the realities and the hardships of life, and they come from living as a broken person in a broken world, right? And, and, and we, we know that every hardship, or if we don't know, I want to tell you now, every hardship 
that we face in this life is a result of sin. And if that word makes you cringe, I want to encourage you just to kind of hang in there and give it some space. But it's the result of sin, and that's either your our own sin, where we have sinned against God, every one of us have. Every one of us have in some way acted against our Creator, holy God, and denied who He is and the claim of authority He has over our life and His purpose for our life. Or it could also be the result of being sinned against. You're experiencing pain and confusion and turmoil over that being enacted to you. Or it is just a result of living in the reality of what has been fractured. Because in the first sin, the beginning of creation, all was fractured, all relationship was. Relationship between man and God, between humanity and one of each other, and then between humanity and creation. And we live in that struggle and that tension. And so how do we overcome this bombardment where we can, with kind of clear conscience and integrity and, and vulnerability and humanity, be able to say, what is true, like in these moments, like life is difficult, but I have assurance. Life is difficult, but I have peace. Life, or, or just, hey, it is awesome. And to realize that it's awesome, not just because your circumstances are good, but because God is good. And that's our opportunity today as we continue to work through our minor prophets and we look at Micah's to think about how do we live with a confidence of peace and purpose and with a life that is postured in a way that acknowledges God as who he is, as good, as, as one who guards our life, who, who, who restores us and leads us and cares for us. How do we live in this reality? As human as we are, as messy as we are, having this peace and assurance. So that's what we're going to kind of work through today. So I want to pray before we go any further. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can be messy and we can be human and you never just throw your hands up and say, I am done with you. That when that, when, when that emerges, when it shows itself, Lord, there is always an invitation. There's always a confrontation of truth, which is a wonderful thing. And so God, I pray that today, that right now we would see your heart, Lord, your worthiness, Lord, who you are. And Lord, as Andy talked about last week, that we would, that would result in us having a right view of ourselves, As we understand you, that we would understand ourselves. And Lord, that we would acknowledge you as God, that we would love what it is to be your people, that we would understand what it means to have access to you through Jesus, and Lord, that our life would be one that is lived in Christ. So God, we give you this time to speak through me, speak in spite of me. Lord, do whatever it takes to speak to the hearts and to change the hearts of those here. And Lord, as a result, those that we will encounter as we leave these doors. So God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open to Micah. We're continuing through the Minor Prophets. If you, uh, the, the text will be on the screen. Um, we also, there's Bibles on the floor near you. Um, it will be pretty hard to keep up, but feel free to try. Um, if you do use these Bibles uh, and, and you're not familiar kind of with, in my, you know, these minor prophets, they're all pretty small, so you can kind of flip past them and they're farther into the Bible than you think they are. So on the, and the ones with the black border, it's on page 660 with the ones that are white with blue lettering. They're on page 452. If you don't have a Bible, please take that with you. Please feel free to like look around and find one that's in the best shape and take that one. Uh, that's our gift to you, okay? So, but everything will be on the screen as well, I, I'm pretty sure. I think I gave Vanessa everything. If it's not up there, it's my fault, not her fault, okay? 
All right. So we're going to kick off in Micah. I think we've given you time to get there. Um, just first off, just to make sure we're oriented, we're going to go about it a little bit different today. We, this is our fifth week in the Minor Prophets, and if you've been here, there's kind of been this formula of, of who is the prophet, what's happening where they're at, what is God confronting, what is their call, what is their sin, and what is the promise and their kind of confrontation, right? There's been this, and it's, we're going to see it again. So we're going to go about it a little bit different today because I actually want you to see this pattern that we see in all the prophets. But before we get there, let's orient to what's happening in Micah, okay? So let's just read Micah 1.1. 1, 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. All right, so what do we have to, like, what is there to know from that text about what's happening? First off, we know that the the, the prophet is Micah, and just if you're curious, his name means who is like Yahweh. So there was obviously this charge from birth that, people, that his parents understood and that God gave that he was going to be a, a, a man of faith and a man that did the work of the Lord. So even his name just proclaims the goodness of God. Who is like Yahweh, which the answer is no one. No one, right? So there's just a fun starter. He, he says he's from Moresheth, which if you're curious, it is about 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem, so kind of down in the south. He did his prophetic work um, for about 20 to 25 years and, you know, somewhere kind of around the 735 years. Hard to say exactly when it started, when it ended, but somewhere kind of give or take years on the side of 735, okay? So about 20, 25 years. Um, something unique about Micah is that he was a prophet to both the northern and the southern kingdom. And if, and if you're kind of just dropping in, I am speaking some assumed context. And so I would encourage you maybe to go back through the past four and listen to those maybe this week to kind of catch up to get some of the bigger context of what's going on with the minor prophets and kind of with the area we're talking about. But he actually was a prophet to the north and the south. You'll hear proclamations to both, and typically what we see is the prophets are kind of addressing one or the other. And if we're talking about the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, they had, they had divided into ten tribes and two tribes. Um, and so, just to give you context of time, again, this is around 735-ish. Um, what we know happened is that the northern kingdom fell in 722 B.C., so not far after this. I mean, they're right at the tail end of their kind of place as an independent nation. And then the southern kingdom ha had about another, another hundred years or so. They fell in 586. So again, like we have been seeing, they're kind of addressing the people kind of in the twilight of their, of their kind of known reality. And what we have also known because of other prophets we looked at this time is that it's a time of prosperity and a time of ignorance in their prosperity. They think because everything is so easy and great, that must mean that God's favor is upon them. But unfortunately for every one of them so far, what we're seeing again is that the reality is their, their comfort has led them to egregious sin. They've neglected their purpose. They've denied their God. They've turned to other nations and to other gods, and they've committed great acts of just great offense. So it's this common story. So I found myself really grateful this week just for another moment in the Minor Prophets because of this cycle, because we get to see, like, in the midst of our need, in the midst of our, our and when I say need, it's not just, like, what we know we need. It's also our need for redemption. Like, we see a faithful God, and we see over and over again through the Minor Prophets that it is not us 
that redeems us, not the people of Israel that made them worthy of God's redemption. It was God's heart for his people. And so I was just excited to enter into this again after a week that, you know, Andy came and taught and it was wonderful. Um, and, and then I was thinking about just the minor prophets in general and that there is this repetition and because it's kind of similar Micah, I thought I would take a moment this week. This is a little bit more of a class time. So we're going to kind of do some class ending with some really beautiful gospel realities, okay? So what we're going to do real quick is I want to take a moment to introduce you to a common pattern that we see in every prophet that will really help us understand what's going on within the book itself as well as how to understand it for our lives. So this is really cool. So just really quickly, let me walk you through the pattern. So we're going to see if you'll just put up that first one, Vanessa. There's this kind of arc, right? Can everybody see that okay? And I don't know how visible that is. In the back, is it coming through enough? So we kind of see this, this arc of story or inverse arc, if you will. Is that a convex? Would that be a bowl? Concave? What is convex? The opposite? Okay. Thanks, Andy. I always depend on you. So it's concave, it's, it's a bowl, whatever you want to call it. And so what we see here, if you'll go to the next one, we'll see that the people of Israel are kind of confronted in this moment. So there's just this kind of change of direction that kind of you know, communicates this moment that, that is happening to them in this proclamation. And so what we'll see them addressed, we'll see them, first off, what we'll see sometimes is them called to their past. And so we'll see that the, the past is addressed. And so we'll see, and it'll be often, it doesn't really happen in Micah, but in a lot of them it does, and it'll be this reminder of who they were, who they were meant to be, what, their, what, their, what it once was like for them. So we'll see that sometimes. And then we'll see this, this communication of decline, like, hey, you are going the wrong way. You're heading towards destruction. There'll be this description of, of their, their lives and the trajectory of their lives and the impact of their choices. And then it keeps going, and then you get into the pit of despair. Anybody ever seen Princess Bride? I couldn't do it. That was my best attempt. If someone can do it better, do it later. Okay, so it's like the pit. It's the, it's this, the, it is the rock bottom, and this is typically not where they are. It is typically a proclamation of what is to come. It is coming like this is the destruction that's coming for you if you don't turn. If you remember from the past weeks, we've talked about these, these woes and these oracles of judgment and these acts of judgment were always meant to what? It is always meant to turn the hearts of the people back to God so that they would repent and be restored. And so we see these over and over again. We'll see these pictures of the pit. And then if we keep going, we'll see, and it's not linear like this. It, you know, as, as you, as we, if you've been here, we've seen that they're kind of like sprinkled in as kind of a way to like keep you from just running away. But there's, there'll be these pictures of a restored future. When we think about this, it is a restoration to what they expect. It's a restoration to them being kind of in their land of promise and experiencing what it is to be the people of promise as they understand it, which means a people that are in a position of influence, a position of, of kind of ruling power, because they're meant, because that's what they understood. They, they were meant and promised to be a people that would be blessed and, pl and placed in a position to influence all the world so that they could be a blessing to all the earth. And unfortunately, the message was missed over and over again. But what we see is in these moments of the, you know, kind of right alongside these, these, these woes and oracles of like, hey, it's going to get real rough for you. They're sprinkling in these pictures of like, but hey, there's hope. You will be restored. There's one more phase, but we're going to save that for a little bit. But, so there's, but I want you, as you start reading through the prophets, not just the minor prophets, all the prophets, look for this, look for this pattern 
because it'll really help you understand what's happening. It'll also really help you understand how to apply and understand what is for you today. So again, there's one more part of this pattern, but we're going to save it. So we're going to move pretty fast today through Micah, because at this point, it's a pretty standard fare as to what's happening. So we're going to focus more on kind of overlaying Micah on this pattern so you can see it, and then we're going to come to some beautiful gospel truths from Micah and for our life today. Um, so we'll slow down when we get to the end. Um, so let's see how this pattern presents itself in Micah. We're going to start with the decline, right? And so, again, Micah doesn't really address the past very much, but he talks a lot about what's happening in the decline. So chapter 1 itself is, is an indictment against Israel and Judah, which, again, you think about this. These are both Israel, and it's an indictment against both of them. And tip in the northern kingdom, just so you know, in all of its history, had a corrupt king. It never had a good king, and it was always just, just bad up there, which, you know, and so which makes sense that they, they went first. But the southern kingdom would kind of vacillate between good and bad kings. There would be a good king, which is, by the way, where David was at the beginning when they first separated the kingdom. Um, but, then, uh, but then you would see a bad king come in, and then you would see a new king come in and try to cleanse everything, and then it would kind of go back and forth. Um, but here we see that both the north and the south are committing these sins against God. So the chapter 1 is an indictment against Israel. Let me read Micah 1, 2 through 7, just so you can see this. It says, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? Samaria was the place that they were supposed to come and worship, but he's saying this place where you're supposed to come and worship me is actually a place of transgression. He says, and what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? He's saying the same, hey, by the way, you too, southern kingdom, the same thing's happening there. The places you are meant to worship me is now a place of idolatry. He says, therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols will I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. So we see this decline, this picture of, and there's even some kind of pictures, little pictures of the pit here, right? But we'll look at that in more depth in a second. So let's look at as the decline continues because then uh, God through Micah speaks some woes upon them. Micah 2, 1 through 3 says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. So again, he's describing this descent. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. So he's like, you're thinking of horrible things and you're doing them because you have the power to. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. This is really feel good stuff, right? So living, so we see what we see here is this picture that the people of Israel, both of all of them are living by the rule of might makes right. 
They have forgotten their God. They have forgotten their purpose. And they have taken their power, their place of prosperity and power, and used it to afflict others and to oppress others. And they're saying, hey, if I want it, I'm taking it. So without any consideration with what God gave them to be and what he says is good. We see their ways are wicked. They, de- they develop them and carry them out. So Micah 3, 1 through, 4 and verse f- uh, 1 through 3 and verse 5 are another picture of this. It says, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and, br- from, from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. And so first, so we see two pictures here. You know, if the people of Israel are the people of God, and if anyone should get it, it should be those that are leading the people of Israel. And yet we see here first in verses 1 through 3 that the leaders are corrupt. I mean, there's this, this this horrible, disgusting picture, this metaphor of of their actions, of that it is so egregious that it would be like what's described here of this cannibalism. And so there it's there are these horrible offenses. They they have taken their position and used it again to not only benefit themselves, but to harm those they've been given to care for and steward. And then we see the prophets in verse five, those who are meant to be the voice of God doing what? What were they meant to do? They were meant to turn the people of God to, to him so that they would know him, so that they would experience his love, and so that they would uh, bring his truth and grace and uh, redemption to the world. And yet the prophets were mercenaries for hire. Did you catch that? They'll speak peace to those who pay them, and they'll speak war, catastrophe, to those who cannot. And so they're, they're using their position for their own benefit at the expense of others. For more of kind of pictures of the decline, you can read Micah 2, 8 through 11, uh, 3, 9 through 12, and 6, 11 through 12. So here we see the very people that were set apart by God to be his image bearers amongst all the nations as the blessed ones so that through their blessings all the nations would be blessed, that these people have denied every bit of this. They've denied their God. They've denied their responsibility. They've denied their position. They've denied their identity and their inheritance, and they've turned to other gods and acted against the commands of God, the heart of God, the, pro, the point of God. So again, this decline. So from our pattern, we know that that doesn't stop. It gets worse. And this is really just the natural trajectory of living outside of God's promise and will. So let's look at this rock-bottom pit, Right? So Micah 1, 6 through 7, we've already read it once, but let's just hit it again. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. We see here a picture of utter desolation an indictment of the unfaithful bride, much like we heard in Hosea. And that is the sense, again, here what God is presenting here, 
this unfaithful bride. So we hear this, this, what is meant to be, what is desired, what was designed was an intimate relationship, a knowing and being known relationship, and yet they have denied it and stepped outside of it. And therefore, hey, guess what? You're just going to get what you were pursuing and asking for. Eventually, you're going to have to experience that. And then Micah 6, 13 through 15 says, Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. Which, by the way, if you're getting a little tired of, of the beatdown, maybe let that motivate you for what's to come in just a moment, all right? Because it, it gets, it's rough. It's meant to be. It's meant to like kind of be like, okay, I, I get it. Stop. Stop like, like beating the dead horse. Like, I get it, it's bad. But I think it's helpful for us to kind of really sit into the destructive nature of, of rebelling, sinning, denying, against, denying God. And so let's just, let's just kind of stay with it here, maybe even find some of that motivation. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. He says, you shall eat, but not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. I mean, what is this a picture of? It's a picture of captivity. It's a picture of being ruled by an oppressor, being enslaved, right? Eating but never being satisfied means you're going to eat, but you're never going to eat enough because you're going to be an oppressed people. Uh, it says, well, you know, whatever you do is not for you. You're going you're gonna to reap, but you're not going to sow. You're going you're gonna to tread olives, but not anoint yourself with oil. It's going to be for somebody else. You're going to tread grapes, but not drink wine. Like, again, these are, this is an independent, autonomous people and nation, and they're being told that, and they're, and they're in this time of prosperity, and they're being told, like, hey, all this is coming to an end, and it's going to be horrible. You'll work for another and you'll experience no benefit of your own labor. These are God's chosen people. This, I pray this is jarring for us. It should have been jarring for them. But it shows how far they've gone. They ignored the voice of the prophet, and they ignored, ignored the word of God, because what do we know happened? They didn't repent. They didn't return to God. They didn't acknowledge it, because what happened? They actually it followed through. They were conquered and taken as captives. They experienced all of this. So unfortunately, somehow the truth of this missed them. Because the intent of this was to turn them. And yet they didn't. They were so far gone, they didn't receive this and repent. They went their way and actually experienced this. They got what they were pursuing. What a, and that's such an important and a truth for us to remember. For more of this, kind of seeing the pit, we can read some more. Read uh, Micah six, uh, 3, 4 through 7, as well as uh, 4, 9 through 10. But just as we've seen over and over in our first four weeks, God's act of judgment is never the end. Over and over again we see this. We always see that there is a promise of restoration. Again, why is that the case? Because what is God's heart in his action? We've already said it a few times today. It is his the people's restoration, repentance and restoration. Right? And so maybe just to kind of get a moment here, let's just say those two words together. Can we do that? We don't do this here very often. Let's all step up and step out and maybe just take a little risk. Let's all say repentance and restoration. Repentance and restoration. I am so proud of you guys. That was amazing. That was, maybe we should do that more often. Um, we'll see how it goes. 
Um, but, but because that's God's heart, we see that there was always a promise along with these, uh, this, these oracles of judgment as well as the judgment to come. And the intent is that the judgment would lead the people to that repentance and restoration. So we come to this place of a restored future, right? So we've seen that, hey, sometimes there's a call to the past. We see a picture of the decline. We see a, a, a proclamation, an oracle in, in judgments uh, kind of down in the pit of how bad it's going to be. But then we get these pictures of restoration. Well, let's look at some of those real quick. Uh, Micah 2, 12 and 13. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So they're brought back together. They are restored. They, are, they have their king in place again. Micah 7, 14 through 17 says this, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nation shall see. Oh, by the way, did we catch that? That was a call to the past. Remember what I've done. Remember, I brought you out of captivity once. I'll do it again. Remember, you were in Egypt and I brought you out. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. So again, enemies defeated. Their captors defeated. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Everything they expected, everything they lost and are going to lose will be restored. So we see in those two passages a picture of all that was taken away being given back. All that was supposed to be being made real. If you want to see another example of that, you can look at Micah 5, 7 through 15. So, as I said, there is one more part of this pattern in the prophets. And sometimes it's, it's a little clear, sometimes it's really clear. Micah, the reason why we're doing this today, because in Micah, it is super, super clear. Joel, it was really clear too. Um, it, it's, it's something, we see this picture of <laughs> dun, 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 a super future, right? It's not just a restored future, it's a super future. Like, yeah, I know. It's exciting. Like, and so, so it's beyond what they expected. It's beyond what they fathomed. It's beyond what they understood they were promised. It was a promise far greater. And maybe this echoes, maybe this brings some other verses to mind of like, God will do and exceed far greater things than you can ever think of or imagine. It was true for them. It's true for us in the work of Jesus. That's a little bit of a spoiler alert, okay? So we see this picture of a super future. It's a, it's a promise to something greater than they had ever thought they would inherit or, or expect. Let's look at some examples of that. Micah 4, 1 through 8 says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days... The latter days is a clue here, which is another way of the, the day of the Lord, which we talked about that as a day not just of judgment, but a day of promises kept. So it's a day of hope for those who believe in Christ, for those who trust God. It's a day of woe and, and de devastation for those who don't. Because you remember what Joel said, all who come to the name of the, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is that moment where those who have called on the name of the Lord will be saved, those who have not 
will experience the fruit of their confession. Over and over again we see this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the high, as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be, so again, hear this grand language. It shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. Peoples, not just you people, peoples and many nations, not just one nation, many nations shall come. And they will say what? Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. It's not just the people of Israel. Let through, it'll be all the nations confessing this. Let us, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, which means they are worshipers of Yahweh, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many, many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations. I'm emphasizing because I wanted to sink in far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. What a picture of peace. They don't need them anymore. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and, and, and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of his God. But we walk... In the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. <coughs> Excuse me. In the lame, I will make the remnant. In those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall 